Our scripture reading today is Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to, up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. The word of the Lord. Thank you, John. There's nothing, nothing like a good church meeting. Don't you think? Kathy? Yeah? Dan? Good church meeting? 
here are some real, real, I'm making these up, real meetings, big time meetings that happened in various churches and what they talked about, okay? There was a church that had a hot meeting over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use that land for a cemetery. I didn't make that up. Um, These are real. Here's another one. There was a long meeting in another church about whether or not a long meeting to install, whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's room. They said that meeting went on a couple of hours. Well, that's important. A church, another church had a fight about which picture of Jesus to put in their foyer. It's a good thing to fight about, don't you think? There was a heated meeting in a church over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. I mean, think about it. Black or brown? Two drawers? Three drawers? Four drawers? Come on. There was a church meeting. No, there were two meetings. They had one church. They had two meetings to decide if they should buy a weed eater or not for the church. And there was a church meeting about who had the authority in that church to buy postage stamps. I want you to know we are clear on that at this church. We know exactly who buys the postage stamps. And you know, we, we're just getting word today. This is all facetious, I know. Just have fun. We're just getting word that according to text messages and phone calls obtained by police uh, who are in contact with this church at the scene, you're seeing a live, a, a live shot right now. This is breaking news that um, after a brief worship service, the pastor called for an after-church meeting, this is in New Hampshire, to discuss an upcoming potluck dinner. And uh, it's, the meeting's still going on four hours later. This is back in New Hampshire. He just said it was going to be a quick discussion. The pastor asked everyone just to stay for a few minutes. And at the conclusion of Sunday's sermon, service, almost everyone lost focus when everybody, various people just randomly got up and started talking about whatever church issue, unrelated as it was, came to their minds. They're still there. Hours later, they're having this church meeting. Are our meetings like that? Are they? I don't want to be too cynical. So, I want to say there are times when churches meet, and it's worth it. It's very worth it. And they bring health to the movement of Christ, and... They bring about great things. I could mention some church meetings over the history of Christianity that have been very important in the movement of the gospel and for its impact on Christianity throughout the world. Midway through the book of Acts, there is a church meeting that we're told about. It's the first church meeting, if you would, that's on record, literally. And it was an important one. Now, last Sunday, we learned how Antioch, the city of, ancient city of Antioch, was a hub for early Christianity. It was the place where Christians were first called Christian. And some believers who had come from Jewish backgrounds and were still devoted to the Jewish law came to Antioch and said that unless men were circumcised, they couldn't be saved and they were not acceptable to God. Now, many Christians, particularly in Antioch, were not of Jewish background. They were Greek. They had never come, understood the practices of Judaism. They had often come from pagan backgrounds to faith in Jesus. 
And they never paid attention to the Jewish law. They hadn't been circumcised, which that was a sign of being part of the covenant people of God. You know, probably the biggest issue in the earliest years of Christianity was do we still have to keep the Jewish law in order to be right with God if we have now become Christians? Or is there a new way to be accepted by God through Jesus Christ? It says that Paul and Barnabas got into a sharp dispute and a hot debate with those who said, no, you still have to keep the law. They argued this out. Now consider it. God spoke through Moses and said, here's the law I want you to keep. Jesus was Jewish. He kept that law. He said, you need to fulfill this. The, Jews, uh, the disciples were all Jews. They kept it. Is that still how we become right with God? That was what they wrestled with, even after Jesus. So, to settle the issue, the church in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas down from Antioch. They said, you go to Jerusalem, go to headquarters, talk to the apostles, talk to the elders, and tell us exactly what we should do about this. What should we think? What's the ruling on this? And there was a big powwow of church leaders to figure this thing out. And there were also some believers who were Pharisees who came. That's right, Pharisees. Pharisees are often the bad guys in the Bible, aren't they, in the story of Jesus? But some Pharisees had come to believe in Jesus, but they were still Pharisees, and they were strict adherents to the Jewish law. A lot of discussion at this meeting in Jerusalem. A lot of discussion. And then we read Peter, the apostle, got up, and spoke about how he had come to see and God had showed to him that God fully accepted the Gentiles because, number one, they had the Holy Spirit, and number two, their hearts had been purified simply by faith. The Holy Spirit and faith. If you have those things, Peter said, you're a Christian. You're good with God. And Peter said this, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles? a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. Peter says, who are we kidding? We haven't been able to keep this law. Abraham, Moses, David, any of the rest of those in our Jewish heritage, they didn't keep the law. You got to say this about Peter. He was keeping it very real. And he speaks of keeping the law of Moses as if it's a yoke around the neck of the Gentiles. Way too heavy to carry. And he says to insist on making people continue to do this, that is to put God to the test. Why is it to put God to the test? He goes on, because we believe, he says, it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. That is the Christian gospel. Our relationship to God is through grace. It's not through the keeping of rules. It doesn't mean the law isn't good. But that is not what we trust in to be right with God. No one could keep it. So God came in his son, Jesus, to keep that law, to take the penalty for not keeping it by sacrificing himself on the cross and making peace between us and God. God's perfect righteousness is expressed in the law. We failed at keeping it, and it pointed to our need for a Savior who fulfilled that law for us. Law merely pointed to the sickness. Grace brought about the cure. Law merely pointed to the sickness. 
grace brought about the cure. To insist on something other than what God provides for us in His Son Jesus is to put God to the test. It is to say, well, what you've done is not good enough and we need to do our part and we will do our part. Remember what Jesus said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Peter said, let's not do this. Let's stand on grace. Paul and Barnabas were at the meeting. Paul wrote so much about grace in his letters. In Romans, he wrote this. But now, apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That is good news. And that is why Christianity is good news. Some have tried to hijack it by making it, well, we'll just let everyone in regardless of what you stand on or They've hijacked it to make it about politics or to make it about fundamentalism or what kind of Bible you read. But we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how this passage, the same passage, reads in uh, the message. It uh, perhaps brings a little more clarity. The message isn't a literal word-for-word translation, but captures the spirit of the words. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all these years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record of sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. That was Paul, what he wrote. When Peter was finished speaking in this meeting, it says the whole room was silent. Luke notes that. People were really listening now, really listening. And I think the silence suggests there was a lot of consideration going on. You know, much of what sparked this meeting in Jerusalem is not our issue. Our lives are not divided into Jew and Gentile anymore. Um, But the spirit of what they were debating and thinking about still hangs around faith and religion and spiritual things today. And it's that struggle between earning our way with God and keeping religious laws, and doing certain religious things, or relying on His grace. That's the struggle. Lloyd Ogilvie put it this way, the struggle for faith alone never ends. It's part of our own inability to accept a gift. And deeper than that, we want to be loved because of what we do for God. Yeah, we do. But you know what? God's love isn't based on what we do or don't do for God. Religious traditions that line up different things we're supposed to do, five steps, eight ways to this path, 
all these do's, all these don'ts come with the expectation that God relates to us based on, a, on our doing the right things. We do the right things and God will relate to us. The radical and the defining element of the faith of Jesus Christ is grace. That we don't earn it, that we can't earn it, that we're not asked to earn it, nor are we even allowed to earn it. Grace doesn't mean anything goes. There are things we hold to as followers of Jesus Christ. When the leaders at this meeting were done, they said, well, let's write a letter of what we've decided and let's send it to all the churches. And in that letter, they said, well, we stand on grace, not the law, but, but they outlined some things that believers should still live by. Grace doesn't mean anything goes. And in fact, one of the things about grace is that we are so free that we might fight more with what we can neglect than what we have to achieve. We might fight more with what we can neglect than what we have to achieve. There are a lot of temptations when you live by grace. There's probably a lot more mess with grace. Grace and freedom and the freedom it brings can easily be abused. And that's the other side of the saved by grace discussion. And there are parts of our New Testament that write about that. But legalism kills, absolutely kills. It puts a yoke around people's neck that weighs us down and eventually people wilt and they are defeated in their attempts to pull the load. And people who were raised in or came out of very legalistic backgrounds often are just broken by it. Well, in this big church meeting after Peter's done and after Paul and Barnabas are done, James, who we believe is the brother of Jesus, James who was the brother of Jesus and a a leader in the early church, he steps up and he speaks. And he cautions about making it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning it to God. Loading them up with a bunch of rules, loading them up with a bunch of regulations. He said, it's just going to make it hard. And it's not going to encourage anyone to live by faith. He said, if Jewish believers want to continue to keep the, the, the ways of Judaism, fine. There's no problem with that. But for Gentiles who are just coming into this world of practicing faith in the one God, they need something different. They didn't need to be choked with legalism. And in the letter that's written to Gentile believers and sent to various places, the leaders say this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And they mention a few requirements. You can read them. They're minimal. See the wisdom in in the words of James. I think he's very wise in, in how he puts this. It's defining but not overly dogmatic. It seemed good. We met, we deliberated, we talked, we considered scripture, we believed the Holy Spirit was guiding us, and it seems this is how it should be, so this is where we take our stand. God didn't come with an angel, a voice didn't come from the sky, giving us absolute clarity, but it seemed good to us, given all these things. You know, sometimes I think a lot of decisions churches make, that we make as a body, sometimes the decisions we make individually as Christians, it's because, and we do it with the leading of the Spirit, but it's because it, it seemed good to us. That's, that's sometimes the best we can do, but that's good. It seemed good with all the ways that we sought God, with all the ways we prayed and went through this. No voice from heaven came to make it definitive, but it seems like this is in line with God. And then they write in this letter, we aren't interested in burdening you. 
I love that. Um, the life of faith in Christ isn't meant to be a burden. It is sad that so many people see the life of God as a burden. Faith has its obligations, but those things are to be life-giving. There were some requirements the leaders felt people needed to be mindful of, keep regardless whether they were Jew or Gentile, and they lay down those essentials in the communication. But I think if we carefully read over what happened in this meeting in Jerusalem, we find it to be a very sensitive handling of a big issue over which there were strong feelings and convictions. Some church meetings need to happen. This was one that needed to happen. This is a good one. Turned out well. Because disagreements and debates happen in churches. But in some ways, this is Luke saying, hey, look, you, we can all do this. This is how it can be done well. Arguments should be about things that are worth arguing about and should be done well. It took wise leaders. It took scripture. It took a sharing of experiences to make the decision. It took the Holy Spirit of God leading and guiding everyone. It took receiving, listening, taking seriously opposing views, taking a sensitive balance between finding what's essential and finding what is burdensome. It took the sharing of experiences and those experiences being tested by others. It eased troubled minds. When it was all over, it says minds were eased. People were encouraged. And when this meeting was over, the church, which is the witness to Jesus Christ, took its stand on grace. And that's the most important thing. Getting clear on what we are about. How we live with God. The message we proclaim. Grace is worth it. And you know, the life of grace is not an effort, effort on our part to achieve a certain goal. It is a continual, renewed effort. This is what grace is, a continual, renewed effort, an attempt simply to believe that someone else has done all the achieving that we will ever need to do, and it is just us living in relationship with that person. Whether we achieve it or not, it's living in relationship with him. That person is Jesus Christ. That is the biggest essential of living with God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Let's pray. Lord, we are so tempted to want something to do to be right with you. Thank you that you take that out of our hands. And that all we can rely on are the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Thank you for the grace that saves us. Thank you for the gift you give to everyone. And thank you for the grace that will see us home to you. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.